Hello, welcome to the I Want to Meet Nikola Tesla podcast. Today I have a very special guest, Philip. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, nice to meet you, Nikola. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. I'm looking forward to our discussion here. Awesome. You're very welcome. So, um, uh, a big theme of the show has been the carnivore diet. Um, I, I brought you on here because I wanted to talk about cryptocurrency, but I thought uh, the two overlap. And I thought um, you've told me that you've uh, you've used the carnivore diet. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about your experience with the carnivore diet first, and then we'll get into cryptocurrency. Well, sure. Like any guy who's married with some kids, I managed to put on some weight over the years. Uh, not that anybody needs my birth date, but I'm a little over 40 now. And honestly, I'm, a kind, I'm the kind of guy who participated in sports growing up. I did triathlons. I did a half Ironman once. So I was always very active. And once you get away from that, if you don't change your diet, then the pounds really start to add up. And sure enough, they started to add up for me. My Good weight, probably in high school, was about 185, 190. And as recently as August of last year, I was about 220, 225. So I think we have to go back a step further. I found cryptocurrency in 2016. And once you find crypto and Bitcoin, it's a short jump to discovering the Bitcoin standard by Safedine Amos. And you start following him on Twitter and you discover that not every post he makes on Twitter is about Bitcoin, but literally every other post is about eating meat and avoiding sugar and grains and soy and all this other industrial food that we consume without even thinking about it. So I had already pursued this kind of diet before. I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Sisson. He runs Mark's Daily Apple. Yeah, the uh, Primal Blueprint. And I had tried that before. And sure enough, when you get away from sugars and grains, you know, forget just being a carnivore, but getting rid of sugars and grains, like that's the first step. We're, we're all walking around addicted to those two substances. And you definitely see it, particularly here in the United States, where at least a third of Americans are morbidly obese. And they're consuming gobs and gobs of sugar and grains every day without even thinking about it. You know, they have the bagel for breakfast, then, Hey, what are we going to have for lunch? Let's go grab pizza. And Oh, by the way, between breakfast and lunch, somebody brought donuts to the office. So you throw down two of those without even thinking about it. You come back from lunch and you can hardly focus and you don't know why. And this goes on for years and years. And you're trying to figure out how am I going to get through a career when I can't even focus on my job in the afternoon. So, I had known that this already works because I had tried it with the Primal Blueprint. And when you take it a step further and you go carnivore, you realize not only am I eliminating something that's bad for me, but then I'm adding something that's good for me, that satiates me. You can feel it instinctively when you eat a good steak. Like this is what I'm supposed to be having. You know, There's a reason that when you smell barbecue or bacon or something like that, that you have that visceral reaction to it. Like this is something that smells good to me. I mean, if think about it with a dog, if you put, if you drop bacon on the floor at a birthday cake at the same time, which one is the dog going to go for? They, they instinct instinctively go for that, that bacon or that hamburger first. Right. And as human beings, we should be as well. So back in August, uh, I kind of committed myself. I was down in Miami. I was looking at everyone on South beach, 
with their abs and their muscles and everything. And I kind of got a little flabby and I wasn't too excited about taking my shirt off. And I said, you know what, when I get home, I'm going to get back on the Bitcoin meat diet, right? The carnivore diet. And uh, you start seeing results immediately. Coupled with that, you know, get rid of alcohol. That's really just sugar too. And before I knew it, within three months, I had lost 25 pounds. And uh, before we started getting quarantined, I was down to 185. So I had lost a, a total of 40 from top to bottom and uh, had a six pack again. It's easier to work out. You feel less sluggish. So I, I know that was a long winded answer, but you know, hopefully for your audience, if they're struggling at work you know, or, or at their job and they can't figure out why, this is probably the main reason. Yeah, awesome. No, thank you so much for for sharing. It's not it's not a long winded answer at all. I think that it's because there's so much to unpack there, and um, it, it's really incredible, especially for um, the people I've been speaking to that have been coming um, to the diet from a range of different illnesses, IBS, autoimmune conditions. It really is. Uh, it really is uh, like incredible for people, um, and the. The, the thing that gets me so excited for it is I call it, it, it it's, it's a tool for people to reclaim what I call, I call, I call it health sovereignty. So not having to depend on, um, on drugs, not having to depend on uh, doctor visits. That's something that's happened to me and I found happened to a lot of people. And um, it's interesting because I'm, I'm very passionate about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And um, it's interesting that there's this overlap with the um, Bitcoin community and also carnivorism. And um, it, it makes me wonder, is, there, like, uh, is it something to do with um, how I, 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 so since I've become a carnivore um, in the past year, um, it's changed the way I look at food and my relationship with food. So when I go to the grocery store, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in and I'm out. I go to the um I go to the section with the meat. I just get that and I and I and I walk past all the other aisles with all the colorful stuff that's packed full of carbs and sugar that I used to um that when I before I was a carnivore I'd be sort of like wandering around thinking, "Oh, what's for dinner? What am I going to get?" and you'd sort of get um sucked into these like crappy foods that are not good for you just cuz you're sort of like you don't know what to get and, and you know, that you see, I don't know, a lot of them have like fancy colors and they sort of just, they just like attract you. Like, um, it's sort of like kids. Yeah, exactly. So they work on that, <laughs> on that level, don't they? And now I sort of see it as like, damn, this is, this stuff isn't food. Um, and I, I can relate that to the idea of, um, also since getting into Bitcoin, it makes you question like uh, fiat currency. And it's like, is this, is this money? Um, so I, I find that there's a, it's interesting that there's that overlap between, between the two. Well, you know what it comes down to? And it's a phrase that Saifedean uses often in his book. It's all about time preference. I mean, think about consuming that high sugar, high carb industrialized garbage that's really easy to just grab on the shelf, throw in a bowl, add some milk and slug it down. But nutritionally, what's it really doing for you? And on top of that, how difficult was that food to create in comparison to raising grass fed cattle? And then on top of that, you have to prepare that meat, cook it the right way, 
You know, think about all the preparation that goes into making a meal that's really good for your body rather than one that's convenient. I mean, we all know what it's like to be on the road and stop at that fast food place. We do that because it's convenient and we're on the move, but it's not the best decision chemically for our bodies. And it shows, I mean, look at the truckers. I know you're down uh, south of us, but look at the truckers here in the United States. They're, they're all morbidly obese and it's because they're on the road. They need a convenient meal. They don't have time to cook a steak in their kitchen. So they've got a high time preference. And that's why I think diet and money now go hand in hand. People are starting to see the consequences of having a high time preference when it comes to creating fiat money. I mean, I joke that they're just Federal Reserve digits. They're not even notes now. They come off a computer in the Eccles building at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C. No effort went into creating those digits. Now compare that to Bitcoin. I mean, just look at these server farms and all the capital and intellect and manpower and electricity that goes into mining that next block. There's an incredible difference there. And that's why Bitcoin has value. Bitcoin is always going to have value because no one's going to sell it to you for less than the amount of capital and manpower that went into creating it and earning it. I, I really think it is the most evolutionary technology that our generation is going to experience. And uh, hopefully that helps your audience, you know, in terms of why you're going to hear about those two things. And also when you think about it, when you have sound money, you want to live longer. <laughs> you want to be able to accumulate that wealth and spend it longer over a lifetime. Unfortunately, a lot of people are really just thinking about getting through their next workday, right? So they can pay that next bill. There's no long-term calculus into how am I going to save for retirement? We've now seen it with these quarantine measures taking place. Everyone is stuck at home. They can't go to work. The U.S. government had to issue all of these stimulus checks with money that they printed out of thin air. People don't have any savings because they live from paycheck to paycheck. So it was no wonder that if we had to shut down the economy for any particular emergency, that most Americans would be dependent on the government. And maybe that's the same down there in Australia. I assume so, because we live in this global economy where savings really isn't incentivized. We have had artificially low interest rates for over a decade. I mean, Ben Bernanke, the former Fed chairman, promised us that we'd eventually normalize rates. That was back in 2009. That was an eternity ago. I wasn't even a dad yet. I mean, think of all the changes that happened over the course of more than 10 years. So that's really why it's time for plan B. It's not a coincidence that Bitcoin was born out of artificially low interest rates and QE. It is, as the saying goes, necessity is the mother of invention. That's why Satoshi created Bitcoin. I know I'm all over the place, but no, no, the two no, things no. going hand in hand. It's all no. about, just, just don't forget when you're telling your friends at a cocktail party, it's all about low time preference. Yeah, no, you're, that, that, that answer is um, very on point. And when you're talking about um, low, pro, low time preference, I agree with you 100% because um, when you're saying people, when people sort of change their, their mindset when they're looking, um, thinking about finance and economics, and they look at it through more of an Austrian or Bitcoin perspective, um, they, 
they want to they they plan for a longer term and they want to live longer and it's um i'm also relating this back to carnivore and it's kind of like the same thing when you um when you when you take on a carnivore diet and you start uh changing your um point of view on health and you start thinking oh i should be i should be living uh without pain i should be living without these symptoms i should be living without having to depend on these pharmaceutical drugs um it it also makes you want to live longer because like you were saying i really like the example you you're using for for low low time preference um and i i 100 percent um agree with that that um that's the that's the common denominator between carnivore and and bitcoin um looking towards um the long term and um it, it, you're almost uh more excited to it about it and um you 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 sort of mentioned um you don't know what's going on in australia to tell you the truth being in australia i i don't really know what's going on either here um we pretty much shut down our whole economy i'm in i'm in western australia so that's like the the biggest state like in terms of land mass in the in the western part of australia and uh we've we've everything's basically shut down not working and uh, but they're advertising yesterday um like there's there's no new cases of the virus i mean if that's if you can trust the government doing the um, testing. I mean, I, I don't know what that means. And I, I don't know what that means um, going forward um, for all these people that are out of a job. And it's kind of like, yeah, the, the whole world is so interdependent and in connect, interconnected. It's kind of like, well, um, what what happens now? No one, no one really knows. And we're all just sort of like looking around um, and no one's really um, certain about the future like you were saying everyone's sort of not sure where the next paycheck is coming from um a lot of people are sort of looking towards welfare which um which isn't which isn't a good place to be that there's a lot of people um dependent on the government for their next paycheck it's kind of scary because it's kind of like well they can dictate the terms of um how you live your life um and that's not that's not a good place to be um and it comes back to um why I'm excited about uh, the carnivore diet and Bitcoin is because they're both tools we can use to achieve sovereignty, which I think is very important. And that's something that um, human beings have had. Um, if you look back hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and we've sort of lost our way, haven't we? Yeah, we really have. You know, we traded convenience for self-reliance, and ultimately you now see it throughout the world. People are looking to government to take care of them, the nanny state, and uh, they're going to be disappointed every single time. Nobody over promises and under delivers as badly as governments do. But I will say that this is a problem that's been created here in the US because the number one export that the United States has is our inflation. And we've had an exorbitant privilege over the last 50, 60 years, ever since the Bretton Woods Agreement. I think actually we're going on 80 years now. In that the US dollar was the world's reserve currency. And then you fast forward to 1971 when Richard Nixon severed the ties of the dollar to gold, thereby severing the 
world's, all the world's currencies from a stable unit of account. I mean, think about it. I mean, this is the Nikola Tesla podcast, right? Think about in terms of any science, like, I don't know, physics. If you have a unit of measurement, if you were an engineer and you're building a bridge and that unit were to change halfway through construction, that is going to lead to a disastrous outcome. And the reason the United States became the world's superpower is because we committed ourselves to a gold standard during the Industrial Revolution. And through a gold standard, you could be rest assured that every year the money supply would really only increase by about 2%. So monetarily speaking throughout history, that was a pretty good unit of account. So when you fast forward to Richard Nixon in 1971, August 15th, that's a day that will live in financial infamy because he took the entire world off of a stable unit of account. Ever since then, all the world's currencies have been free floating against one another and they trade every day. But this system is not going to last. Even though you and I, in the time we've been alive, this is all we've known, we recognize from financial history that Greece is no longer the world's empire. The Romans are no longer the world's empire and they all collapse the same way. Every empire over promises and under delivers and they go into a hyperinflationary tailspin and a depression occurs and then they collapse. Same with the UK. I mean, the, the sun never set on the United Kingdom, but that empire collapsed too. So the United States is to blame for this problem when People throughout the world, including Australia, are looking to their governments for assistance. It's because we sent our inflation abroad and we did so through artificially low interest rates and quantitative easing, and we never reeled those programs back in. And the, unfortunately, the genie's out of the bottle now. Again, that's why it's time for plan B. That's why it's time for low time preference, because we finally, for once, have a stable unit of account. We have a cryptocurrency with a known emission schedule that has a trustless, immutable, decentralized ledger that all of us can look at at any single time. Sure, it's extremely volatile, but it's bound to be. Right, Nicola? I mean, it's, it's bound to be. It's, it's so tiny. It, it's a dinghy in a Cat 5 hurricane. Bitcoin doesn't even have a $100 billion market cap or maybe just over as of this recording. So people are going to take profits. I mean, imagine if you had bought Bitcoin in, I don't know, let's say January of 2015 and you bought it around 200 bucks and then you watched your investment increase to a hundred bagger, right? Or what was it? Was it a hundred bagger? Yeah. hundred bagger, $20,000. You're yeah. going to sell. Yeah. <laughs> And, and the same is true for us right now. I mean, I bought all the way down. Uh, you know, I bought Bitcoin below 10,000 all the way down to three. Yeah. And I'm sitting on gains now. I'm also sitting on some losses. But I'm not selling for anything lower than 50. Yeah. You know, I'm probably going to wait for 60 or 70. And ultimately, someone's going to see that and they're going to see, hey, this thing is moving upwards. It looks safe. I'm going to buy it. And I'm going to be a seller. And the weak hands are going to take delivery from the strong hands and we're going to repeat the cycle all over again until finally Bitcoin is that super tanker traveling through the Pacific Ocean, you know, delivering 
a massive amount of goods that just isn't phased by these financial waves. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, speaking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin's volatility, I mean, yeah, it's volatile in price, but it's stable as a as a as a system as a network. So uh, we're going through some crazy times right now. And hey, you look at on average every ten minutes, there's a new block. I mean, Bitcoin's not stopping. Um, it's unfazed by all of this crazy stuff that's going on in this crazy world that we're living in. And I think uh, that that that's really that's really profound if you can sort of just look past the price and just look at the idea. I mean, it's like a worldwide financial network where you can in, you can um, connect with anyone over the world, anyone in the world, and transfer um, value. I mean, from me to you, from Australia to America, um, easily. I mean, I, I'm not even sure how I can do that using the traditional um financial network and how many fees there are and how many um how much how how many um potential barriers there are for that to happen i mean with bitcoin it's it's easy um and i think that's the um that that's the amazing thing the 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 network and the network stability and the network's um resilience is um I think something that's very underlooked and you talk about, you, you were talking about um, how this is the Nikola Tesla podcast. And yeah, uh, uh, one of his quotes that I, I keep on bringing up is he talks about the idea of how a lot of scientists, and I think we could relate this to maybe uh, doctors um, who, 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 who don't treat diet as a potential medicine. We could maybe relate this, relate this idea to a lot of economic economists um, people in studying um, economics, um, this idea, he said, um, scientists of today, they think deeply, but not clearly. And he says, um, one can be quite insane and, and think deeply. And I think that is the case um, with uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, much of uh, people in the health industry and even in, um, even in finance industry with these, like, can you even explain to me what is um, modern, modern monetary theory? I mean, it's crazy talk. Yeah, well, really when you boil it down, it, whether it's Keynesian economics or modern monetary theory, which is just slapping a new name on an old brand, it really is nothing more than academe's effort to place a body of thought onto something that they just want to do anyway. Every politician wants to overpromise and underdeliver. Well, they don't they don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. They want to get reelected and they know they get reelected by making promises. So if they can have a school of thought behind it and say, well look, you know, Paul Krugman says that naturally we want to mint these trillion dollar coins and they will be held by the US Treasury and that's how we can stimulate growth by dumping all of this currency into the economy. It's really very simple, Nicola. When you think about it, it, economics is simple. We all understand it intuitively. The only reason one wouldn't understand it is if they go get an MBA like I did, and they're studying macroeconomics from one of these guys at a think tank who's talking about all this comparative advantage and all these different equations. And they're, they're making up all of this mathematics to somehow apply to human decision-making, which is completely incalculable. So what we know is that 
at the very basis of it, money needs to have a price. And when you artificially distort the price of money, i.e. the interest rate, you send false signals into the marketplace. You tell businessmen, hey, the interest rate is low. There must be an enormous amount of savings available for production. So I should borrow that and now speculate on an investment like a gymnasium or a microbrewery, something that I'm interested in. And what these businessmen ultimately discover is that those false signals really did nothing more than cause them to get involved in a malinvestment, which is an investment that's not going to bring about a return. And uh, I have my own personal opinions. You know, this is the I Want to Meet Nikola Tesla podcast. Uh, sure, go Unfor- for it. Unfortunately, I think Tesla is one of those companies. Not that there isn't a marketplace for electric vehicles, but the idea that that company would have a higher market cap than like the four or five biggest American auto manufacturers is pretty insane. So I've been kind of pounding the table. I'm not alone. There's a lot of talking heads out there, especially on Twitter that say, look, this is unsustainable. And then putting my CPA hat on, that's what this piece of paper is over here. There's just a huge incentive to cook the books when you're living in an economically distorted environment, specifically the one that you and I've been living through for the last 10 years. So really, this is why it's time for plan B. Bitcoin solves this. We've seen that meme time and time again. When you have a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin that is completely transparent, then there's no need for all of these expensive audits. You don't need to be concerned about artificially low interest rates because you don't have a central bank. So, you know, I guess I, I've been t- hitting a bunch of different topics, but, uh, you know, we're, here we are, we're 21 days away from the Bitcoin block reward countdown. Talk about, you know, an emission schedule, right? That is immutable. It's trustless. That yeah. will not change. That is certain. And on top of that, we're at like an all-time high or at or near an all-time high in hash rate. I mean, get out of town. This is, to me, the opportunity of a lifetime. I've taken a lot of heat. I'm sure maybe you have once or twice as well. Uh, people say, look, this is a Ponzi scheme. It's going to collapse. You're throwing your money away. The reason we need this, I mean, I'm sitting here with a make gold money again coffee mug that uh, folks can purchase in my KF store. But the reason, as I alluded to earlier, we wouldn't even need Bitcoin. You know, maybe Bitcoin would still be better because it would have a known emissions rate versus gold. But if we had stuck to a gold standard, I don't think we would have ever, you know, Bitcoin probably wouldn't have become a thing, right? People wouldn't have invested their time and energy and capital into maintaining the Bitcoin network because they would have said, well, look, the dollar is as good as gold and there's no need to speculate on something else. You know, necessity is a mother invention, like I said before. So uh, the reason we need it is because there's a whole bunch of shenanigans going on in the gold and silver market. Uh, There's somebody I follow on Twitter who happens to live in Australia, goes by the Twitter uh, handle, Deborah Robinson. Follow that to see just the enormous amount of shenanigans taking place with the COMEX and the LBMA. We don't have to worry about any of that when it comes to Bitcoin. And that, that's why we need it. And 
frankly, that's why I'm over allocated to it. I, I think that, uh, you know, depending on your age, it's probably the best bet you have in terms of finally really going out and grabbing your monetary sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. And something you've touched on before is like the idea that uh, we've, we've lived in this sort of fiat world our whole lives. I mean, you touched on the 2008 financial crisis a couple of times. I mean, for, for me, I was still in, I was still in high school at, at, at that time. So I, I remember it as like, uh, it didn't feel as real for me. Um, uh, but I definitely remember going through it. And um, just the idea that um, my, my generation, a lot of the people uh, my age now, it's kind of interesting um, that many of them are sort of more invested in this sort of stock markets and the stocks like Tesla, where there's a lot of hype and um, they, they, they might see uh, some return on it. And it sort of keep, keeps them like, uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, the sugar hit, isn't it? Um, that we were sort of talking about. And, um, but like you were saying, it's kind of like there's, there's no connection uh, to reality for um, Tesla to be worth more than, um, for example, the Volkswagen group. Um, when you compare the amount of cars uh, that are output, it's uh, the, the numbers are crazy different. Um, and it's, uh, it's interesting that uh, once, you, once you fall down this uh, Bitcoin rabbit hole like me and you have, it's like the, the, the whole way you see the world um, changes. And it's like uh, Bitcoin, I've heard people say, um, I've heard Bitcoin, um, you can't, Bitcoin changes you, so you can't you can't change Bitcoin. It it, it changes you, um, and I think it's uh, slowly but surely changing a lot of us. And I think you know greed is a powerful thing. And um, when that when that when that when that supply cuts in half in twenty one days, and um, you know the natural uh, laws of uh, supply and demand kick in and um, we start to see that price go up. I think uh, a lot of these people, um, especially my age, um, in my generation, that haven't come around to Bitcoin yet, um, who are maybe chasing a lot of these um, stocks that we're, we're talking about today, like Tesla. I think that I think they're definitely going to get sucked in and we, we, we're going to see. Um, I mean, no one can predict what we're going to see, but it's kind of like uh, we, we, we were around for the 2017 um, uh, run up and uh, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like an amazing sort of, um, it's like a, all this energy and it's kind of like a tide comes in and then it goes and it washes away. Um, and then, um, and then we're left with, um, that's where I think we're at now. It's all washed away and there's not, not many people are really talking about Bitcoin or, or, or um, cryptocurrency at all. It's uh, it's very quiet. Um, but I think we're, I think it's the calm before the storm is where we're at right now, especially when you take into account the, the, um, the global perspective and everything that's going on right now. It's like something um, never seen before. You know, Nicola, the beauty of the internet is uh, getting to meet guys like you virtually who I may have never met before, whether it be at a conference or through some other avenue. Uh, one of the guys that I've been communicating with that I've never met in real life is this guy, 
he goes by Litecoin Moses on Twitter. Yeah. And, you know, obviously a Litecoin enthusiast, it's uh, right there in his name. But, you know, I said to him the other day, because he was talking about how none of his friends are interested in Bitcoin. He's the only person he knows who's interested in cryptocurrency anymore. And I replied to him, I said, look, man, I invest in boring and I sell exciting. And I think anybody who does that is probably going to be a Warren Buffett. I mean, Warren Buffett has lived his whole life like that, buying boring and selling exciting. And sure, there have been plenty of years that he hasn't beaten the market, but the guy's still a billionaire. And I think right now we have an opportunity to buy one of the most boring crypto markets in the last 10 years. It might be more boring right now at $7,000 Bitcoin than it was when it was like, what, $2? Because you still had a hardcore group of people that were the hodlers of last resort, as Trace Mayer says. They weren't going to sell for anything. They believed in this thing. And even though there were fewer of them, they were more interconnected. They were communicating with one another. These were the crypto punks. Now it's gone a little more mainstream and we're all holding Bitcoin that's more expensive dollar-wise. But in terms of value, I mean, look what's happening in the world. Uh, you know, these socialist governments all over the planet are printing countless numbers of currency units and it's never going to stop. They will all hyperinflate their currency into absolute oblivion because that's all they know how to do. And Bitcoin scares them. I mean, when Trump came out with his Bitcoin tweet, what was that, six months ago? I know it was sometime last year. He, look, I think of how silly he looks right now. I mean, the Fed has completely reversed course. They've taken interest rates back down to zero after only getting them up to like two, two and a half percent, which was historically very low. And he was dissuading young people from going into the, the hardest money on the planet. And I think that's going to look very bad for him in the long run, because I know personally, I was talked out of Bitcoin in uh, 2014, which was good at the peak, but I thought it was going to go away. And I, I really wish I had paid more attention to it. I really think right now where we sit, we're sitting at the equivalent of about $400 Bitcoin as it was in say 2015. Yeah. I think we're going to see another 10 bagger. I think it could easily be six figures one day. And the best investment a young person can make right now is not in a tech stock, not in a fang stock, but in sound money. And, you know, we had gold and silver and here came this thing that nobody really anticipated called Bitcoin and it's not going away. It is here, here to stay. It's the apex predator. It's a black hole for all of these uh, endless currency units for quadrillions and derivatives. They all need to be accounted for. And uh, finally, we have a tool that we can use. And, you know, I put up this thing. I'm not sure if it transfers to your podcast, but, you know, the image of Venezuela, right? The endless currency units that have been created there. And we've seen this all over the world, whether it be Zimbabwe or Argentina. Yeah. Think about, you know, you and I, we have a bit of a privilege because, we were born and live in a five I country, right? We've experienced a relatively high standard of living throughout our lifetimes. Think about if you were that poor young kid in his twenties, surviving that 
hyperinflationary depression in Venezuela. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to sell whatever goods or services you had for real sound money, whether it be Bitcoin, Litecoin, or Dash, and then flee that godforsaken hellhole with 12 words on your brain and start a whole new life somewhere else in a free country? I mean, that's really what we have here, monetary sovereignty, better than anybody's ever had before. So, uh, you know, if it hasn't come across, I'm a huge proponent. I think it's here to stay. And I, I think it's going to continue to change lives for the better. Yeah. So if anyone was just listening to the podcast and not viewing it on YouTube, Philip was showing a, a photo of uh, basically just heaps of notes in, in Venezuela. Um, that was just like tons of them. Um, and it kind of reminds me of the, like I, I'm listening to an audio book about the Weimar Republic at the moment and what happened to in in Germany in um, the 1920s and um, just some of the uh, like it, it sounds crazy when you sort of listen to how it changes people's behavior and how like people become very irrational and crazy things start happening and. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff going on now in my local community. I mean, last time I checked, like, there's, there's like, no toilet paper. People are becoming um, irrational about toilet paper. It's, like, crazy. Like, they're hoarding toilet paper. Like, uh, um, like is a, are we at the place here in Australia where um, basically toilet paper is more scarce than the, than the local currency, which is... Uh, which 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 is crazy and um already weird things are happening like the local coffee shop down um down the road from me here um they they just accept um they just accept they say they don't accept cash it's just you can just pay by card so it's like we're already it's already all happening right before our eyes we're moving into this new sort of um digital digital world where we just pay for things with our phone or with cards i mean we we don't touch it and um that's why um i think a lot of the uh you were talking about the early bitcoiners the cypherpunks i think they they saw early on that this is this is the way the world is going it's just sort of inevitable and they they wanted to they wanted that that their belief was we should be able to hold on to our um, sovereignty in this world of uh, digital cash. And um, you were, you were talking about there's, there's, um, and there's all, all these other, um, it's like a giant, that's why I like uh, this space so much because it's like a giant Petri dish of ideas, isn't it? And you've got, um, you, it's just like an experiment and we, we see what, we see what stands and what doesn't. I mean, the market, the market um, is the, um, the market will decide if a good idea is uh, valid or not. And um, you, you brought up like uh, other currencies, like cryptocurrencies, like Litecoin. Um, and we've seen that uh, Litecoin has been like a um, uh, it, it, forward indicator. Yeah. Yeah. For what's going to happen in, in Bitcoin. We, we saw that with the adoption of um, the segregated witness. And um, I'm also now very excited about the, the proposal to add privacy for Litecoin, like uh, Mimblewimble. Um, I think uh, I like the way ideas get tested and uh, and the market signals um, through uh, what what ideas are good and, and, and where things are going. I think it's very natural and um, it's, it's um, 
it's something that the tra traditional le legacy system, I just see them not being able to stand the chance um, in terms of innovation. Yeah, well, the free market is the surest, surest path to prosperity. Uh, we haven't really had free market capitalism where I live in quite some time. Uh, capitalism has been dealt many death blows. And, and frankly speaking, a real capitalist society wouldn't have a central bank. And I think there will be societies one day, thanks to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, that don't. And they will be the places that you and I want to emigrate to. <laughs> and we're going to start to develop those short lists, I think, in the not too distant future. I really think when some of these countries fully embrace cryptocurrency rather than central banking, you're going to see little tiny places like Malta, Singapore, uh, the state of Wyoming suddenly just have a boom and prosper. And it's not going to be an accident. Uh, along with that, you know, this is the reason that I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I, I do have great admiration and appreciation for safety because he taught me a lot about Bitcoin through the Bitcoin standard. And he also got me to lose 35 to 40 pounds on his diet. But he is a Bitcoin maximalist. I am not. And the reason I am not is because I am of the belief that the market knows more than I do. And people will willingly choose the cryptocurrency that suits them best. There will be a lot of S coins that come and go, and that's fine. And I'm good with that. And as of this recording, there are over 5,000 of them in the upper left-hand corner, 5,368. I honestly think, Nicola, that many of these in the top 10 or 20 are here to stay because free market participants have determined that they have a use case. And regardless of whether a maximalist sees that or not, really doesn't matter anymore. The market is the ultimate arbiter of whether these have any value. So, you know, I think everyone should be free to choose. We saw what happened when Bitcoin transactions became slow and expensive. Bitcoin Cash was born out of that. People have an awful lot of opinions about Roger Ver and his team over there. But at the end of the day, all that matters is what does the market decide? You know, if people are putting their money toward this thing and they lose it, fine. You know, they, they lost their money. But we don't need to be calling one another names. We don't need to say that Bitcoin's the only true cryptocurrency because I think that meme is going to ultimately die. I mean, Litecoin is already, what, almost 10 years old and it's still kicking. And now we've got David Burkett working on Mimblewimble integration. I, I mean, I, I think if you're a Bitcoin maximalist, you see that and you say to yourself, hey, you know what? I'm for that. That's a good thing. Let, let's, it, it, let's let Litecoin be a test net for us. You know, Let's have something that runs alongside of it. Um, I don't see why there'd be a problem with that. I mean, it's not, it's not hurting you. And on top of that, we all know that we wouldn't want to see, uh, nobody would want to see Bitcoin collapse overnight. No one wants to see Litecoin collapse overnight. I think we all want to see these projects work in tandem so that we can see what works and what doesn't over time. And this is still an experiment. We don't know 
what's going to happen. Uh, I am a pseudo maximalist in the long run. I think that I want to be on the biggest boat. I don't want to get seasick. I, w- I would like to be on the biggest, safest boat when times get tumultuous. And frankly, that's the reason I didn't go into stable coins. I went into Bitcoin at the end of 2017 because I was like, look, I don't know what's going to happen with any of these centralized stable coins. I know that Bitcoin's got a big market cap and I'm willing to potentially lose 50% or 85% um, because I think it's here to stay. And then at the end of that uh, bear market, I transferred a bunch to Litecoin. I'm playing this game. So, you know, it's up to the individuals to decide. And that's what's really cool about this. If you do have any maxis in your audience, I would just say, hey, look, you know, at a minimum, let's, let's all try to get along. We're all in this for the same reason. Um, and at best, let's encourage one another because we're really a very small cog in a much bigger machine. I mean, think about all the people you know, Nicola. Hardly anybody owns any cryptocurrency or much less understands it. So uh, for the ones who do, let's kind of stick together because there's very few of us. Yeah, thank you so much for that because that's uh, that you've uh, answered a question that I usually ask people from um, when I'm interviewing people from the carnivore community um, because the carnivore community is very small at the moment. Um, and you could also argue that the Bitcoin community relative to the rest of the finance world is still very tiny. And um, I kind of say, well, how do we kind of like, because at the moment I'm finding carnivore community very concentrated on um, better health. So there's, a, there's not much dogma. And a lot of people are saying it's important that we preserve that. Um, as opposed to maybe someone in the vegan community, it's like uh, even they're, they're very like you, you can only you can't eat any meat, even if like a tiny little piece of meat was the thing that would make you be nutritionally complete. That that goes against the the dogma, and I, I see definitely uh, some of that uh, dogma is definitely in what you were calling like the Bitcoin maximalism, um, and. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100% that um, the, the market will decide and the market has shown us like that uh, a lot of people are very interested in say maybe the top 10, top 20 coins. I, I agree with you that um, maybe um, most mostly like uh, the it, it, very few will hold value. Um, that's why uh, maybe I, I, that's why I'm so interested in Litecoin and why I see it so interesting because it, it has all these properties, um, that Bitcoin has. I mean, um, it's basically a mirror image of Bitcoin. It follows the same Bitcoin code base. And another thing that it has, which I think very few other coins in the top 20 can say they have is, uh, is a fair start. I mean, the way Charlie started Litecoin was, um, anyone could have come in on the start and mine it. And I think, uh, and, and who knows, is it even maybe more fairly distributed than Bitcoin? I mean, I don't know. We've got like uh, how many coins uh, Satoshi holds. I mean, that, that's a lot of coins that could be uh, uh, dumped on the market at any point. I mean, I, um, I'm not saying it will be, but like is, is Litecoin even more fairly distributed than Bitcoin? I mean, I don't know, but it, it's definitely a huge um, advantage um, Litecoin has over, say, um, a lot of the other a lot of the other coins in in the top twenty. I can say that quite confidently. Yeah, that's really why I have such an appeal to Litecoin, or why I find Litecoin personally so appealing, is because it kind of got in under the gun 
it was created when people still really weren't noticing. I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't even hear about Bitcoin until November of 2013 when Eric Voorhees debated Peter Schiff on Peter's radio show. I had never heard of it before. So the only reason I was hearing about it was because it was already approaching a thousand bucks. I had missed my shot. Um, Litecoin was what? two years old at that time. So the cat was out of the bag in terms of like, hey, this cryptocurrency industry or environment is going to become a thing. And there were very few cryptos that were created or invented before then. And uh, Litecoin is one of them that's really had to go through all of the ups and downs. And it's still here fighting. I mean, as of this recording, it's 40 bucks. It's sitting at about 0.6% of the Bitcoin price. Frankly, I would probably take profits if I see it get up to 2% of the Bitcoin price, to be honest with you. I wish I had done that after the halving or before the halving last year, but none of us have a crystal ball. And uh, if you're going to wade in with your hard-earned money into this game, then be prepared to lose 50% to gain a 10-bagger. And that's a saying that comes from the gold and silver mining stock industry. You know, that that should be honestly in the back of your mind for any investment. Uh, Look at all the downsides first, because there are a lot of them when it comes to crypto. As we said at the top of this show, it's a dinghy in a Cat 5 hurricane. You're going to get tossed around. You just got to be willing to deal with it. You got to be willing to dollar cost average and just put a little bit of money away from whatever job you have and, and not really think about it day to day, especially if you're underwater. Just think long term and you're going to be fine. Yeah, uh, I like a lot of people describe it as the wild, wild west, isn't it? Because uh, you're a lot of the times you, you, you're on your own out here, and uh, a lot of people are going to be trying to pitch you, uh, promise you big returns. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of that sort of scammy type uh, behavior, and um, that's why I, I, I that's another reason why I like the Litecoin community as well because everyone. Everyone seemed, everyone's very friendly. And um, that's something uh, when I had um, the project director, David Schwartz, on the, um, on the podcast, he was saying that's one of the reasons why he was attracted to Litecoin was because he found um, when he would ask certain questions, he was able to get, uh, to get an answer. And I think that's very important because uh, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about, um, the sort of uh, toxic ma- maximalism that can exist in this space is maybe not very friendly to newcomers, but uh, I think it's very important for us to hold, to, to be open to, to new people because um, I think that is, that, that's what's going to bring us uh, to the next frontier in terms of um, cryptocurrency is we, we need more people on board. We need, we need their ideas and, um, and we need to be open to the idea that um, new people coming in, that they might have a different perspective on that, on, 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 on it, how we view things as being inside the bu- bubble. But uh, that's okay because the name of the game is um, we're all going to be a healthy society the more people are using um, sound, sound money. Yeah. Well, and frankly, we need more people to come in for the price to go up, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. I know everyone says, hey, you know, you shouldn't be just in crypto because you want the price to go up. Okay, that's true. The monetary sovereignty piece is of the utmost importance to me. But 
that all goes away if we don't have more people come into it. I mean, give me another example of something that didn't have mass adoption that was still worthwhile. I mean, you really have to be growing. Otherwise, you're not. And uh, all of these coins, all 5,300 could go to zero if we don't have mass adoption. But we believe in crypto because it's a good thing. It's going to make someone's life better. I, I don't want it to be viewed as a Ponzi scheme. And uh, I really think this is where maximalism is so toxic because I don't think a maximalist has ever won, ever won any new hearts and minds. I think they want to sound smart and they want to proclaim that this is the one true Bitcoin. It's almost like they're filling their religion void with a cryptocurrency. And for my grandma and my mom and billions of other people, that's not going to resonate with them. You know, they're not going to, the whole cypherpunk, you know, one true coin for the, to rule them all, that's not going to work. So you have to really bring it down to a level where, hey, you know, you just got a $1,200 stimulus check. Where'd that money come from? If you search the words, you know, why pay print tax and if in Twitter, watch what pops up. People are starting to get it. Why do I pay taxes if the Fed can just print the money? So we're at a, we're at a really great time. It's almost a paradigm shift where we have this massive audience of people who might be willing to listen to people like us to say, hey, you know what? There is a plan B, you know? There is another option. We have a way to escape all of this. And I think that that's where we can be of service to try to educate people into this new form of money that I know I've said several times now, but I really mean it. It's here to stay. It's not going away. Yeah, I agree with you uh, 100%. And um, it's, it's, it's really exciting. We're, we're living in um, exciting times, uh, just like where we are right now in, in the world, like the world we, me and you are living in today. I mean, one month ago, um, you couldn't have predicted it with, with all the stuff that's been going. And I feel like exactly, that's exactly the case. And um, it's, it's anyone's guess where we're going to be in a, in, a month from, in a month from now. And it's like, it's, I think 2020 is just one of those years. Um, it's a quote, I can't remember who says it, but you've got like, uh, decades where nothing happened and then you've got like a year where decades can happen and I, I think that that is the case and I think uh, the this technology uh, is going to play a huge part in in the future and I'm I'm really uh, I'm really excited for it um, it's been a pleasure talking to you Philip um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or share um, before we wrap it up no I, I think uh, we've really covered it all you know really if you're listening to the I Want to Meet Nikola Tesla podcast, you probably are already leaning in this direction in the first place, right? But you have parents, friends, loved ones who aren't. So just encourage them, hey, you know what? Here's a few ideas I heard. Here's a couple of books you might want to check out. You know, you don't have to be a Bitcoin evangelist or a carnivore evangelist, but just explain to people that they should have a low time preference, right? When you, when you eat that bag of chips, that's a low time preference decision, or excuse me, a high time preference decision. When the government prints countless currency units, that's a high time preference decision. These are disastrous in the long run, whether it be for your health or for the economy. And if you can just pitch something like that, you know, over time, you'll slowly change hearts and minds. And that's frankly, what's most important.
Yes, thank you. That's exactly what we're uh, about here on the on the I Want to Meet Nikola Tesla podcast, Philip. Thank you very much for coming on. You get the last word um, and also let people know how they can connect with you, how they can find uh, your content. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, uh, folks can follow me on Twitter at Kennedy Finance. I've got a pinned tweet up there that I think most people in the audience would enjoy. Go over there and check it out. I spent a lot of time uh, producing a Bitcoin music video that included Trace Mayer, Naomi Brockwell, Jeff Deist from the Mises Institute. Uh, basically, it tells a story of my brother trying to buy a motorcycle and you know, affording it and everything. It's just a quick little music video that's kind of to a catchy tune to a, a parody song. We, we made a parody song that uh, I think will be enjoyable for, for a lot of people. So I, I would tell them to check that out. Also look for me on YouTube. We're doing live shows almost every day now through the quarantine, talking about sound money, capitalism, and Austrian economics. I've had guys on like Stefan Levera before. So, uh, you know, wide range of audience just talking about the things that we really love. Um, finally, you know, uh, we talked about Litecoin. I think the most important thing I can do is be an ambassador for people that I think are doing good work. Uh, pull up David Burkett. He's doing the Mimble Wimble project. He is endorsed by Satoshi Light himself. So I don't think you get a better endorsement than that. He's working for Litecoin to make this thing happen. And Satoshi uh, Light, Charlie Lee is matching it. So uh, I would encourage, you know, if you, if you, I know we're all kind of pinching pennies in this time, but if uh, you own a little bit of Litecoin and you want to see the project become more successful, go follow him on Twitter, uh, you know, pull up uh, David Burkett, uh, put Satoshi Light and he'll, he'll be like the first one that pops up. That's really all I got. Thanks, Nicola, for having me on the show.